right. Juliana has uh, informed us that the audio is up and working. I got two thumbs up. Great. I guess that's good. So uh, welcome everybody to uh, Beret Sheet and the first portion of 54 that we will do oh. in 5778. That's right, that's Joey. Yeah, there it is. All right, so, uh, oh, I see we're going to three on the couch here. <laughs> it took you a minute, but you got it. I think by way of announcement, uh, if you weren't here this morning for the tour service, you did miss Richard Spurlock's debut. He did a great job. Video will be online soon, I'm sure. <laughs> Dad, this was the first week I had three children here. Christine had two children here, and Juliana had one. Wow, three, two, and one. Yeah. I like it. I like it. <laughs> of course, I've, I've been counting the two bed four here for we don't actually weeks and weeks. But you're talking about ones that we can see yes. with skin on. Yes. <laughs> nice. Three, two, and one. Yep. All right. Uh, Hanukkah? December. End of the year. Yeah. The Birkat Hamazon, but that's that's the last thing we'll talk about. Oh, okay. Um, is there anything else that we need? Uh, Rosh Kodesh? Rosh Kodesh, yes. Saturday. It's Friday, night. Friday evening, right? Arab Shabbat is also Rosh Kodesh, so add that to your, uh, your prayers. And then, of course, this is a defective month, or whatever they call it. So um, you get two nights uh, Friday night and Saturday night. Nope. Um, we should probably start saying that the, our second service in November, we're going to skip because it's the... We always skip the one right, at the, after, Thanksgiving. right after Thanksgiving, so uh, that gives you more time with family and visits, and especially if you got to drive to see the family or anything like that. You're going up to uh, Arizona, Nevada, or anywhere near where there's mass shoots? No, just checking. Okay. I don't know if I'm taking off the calendar yet, but we won't be meeting. Right, we're not meeting November. second Shabbat in November. Coincidentally, we'll be at home. That doesn't mean we can't all meet together. It's just that we're not going to tour. And we're not going to be here. And, and we won't be here? And we won't be here. Yeah. So we can meet. We're just going to meet here. So we will all go to the mountains and uh, we'll uh, surprise the heck out of Andy. She'll just get out of flight and <laughs> 30 people walk in. So uh, I think. Uh, what was the. My parents are in New Zealand. They send their greetings. Oh, that's what it was. I just wanted to make note that um, you know we have a fairly good number of men, and we did not have two men here today uh, because the Spurlocks are in is it New Zealand? New Zealand. Um, and yet we still had uh, a minion. That's. That's, that's cool. And I like that there's, we're getting a little bit of uh, cush in there until, uh, well, I guess until... God brings more and more grow up. Well, actually until Henry gets bar mitzvah and becomes bar mitzvah. And Micah will be leading that pretty quickly. Is there somebody else before Richard. Micah? Richard. Richard. Yeah, Richard yeah. is going to be a little, little, little longer. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Mike is yeah. coming up though. He's got a couple Bye. more years. Micah. How long you got? Two years? One year? One year from this. Year from he starts his preparation this in January. A year from this January? Mm -hmm. really? Okay. That's not that far away. Have you ever seen a lima bean? A lima bean. Yeah. 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 Yeah
lima bean. Yeah. Yes. That's how big you were when I met you. <laughs> <laughs> Just so you know. So, for those of you who brought a sitter, I know I did, but I can't find it. Is it on the table? It is the leather one on the table, yes, thank you. Pretty sure the Bear God Amazon is in your sitter, so you don't have to pass out books. Fragrance. Anybody get any fragrance? No. 201. 204. What? Wait, that's circumcision. What are you doing? Grace after meals is 182, guys. Hey, wait. Those of you who've been homeschooled, table uh, content is the thing we put in the front of a book. <laughs> Significant portion of people in this room were homeless. <laughs> I know it. That was my point. <laughs> I have you give us some. Oh, 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 oh look! You need, now you need. Uh, no, I broke up. You brought a special on your shirt. Did you oh, need wait need a minute? Cleanliness, Nikita. Stop where we're at. Did you dig it in the water? Right, here we go. We'll give you a breather. All right. So we're on 183. Psalm okay. 126, the song of ascent. Where's uh, Henry? All right. See your top right hand corner, Yep, Psalm 126. That's you, Ben. A song of ascent. When Adonai will return the captivity of Sion, we will be like dreamers. Then our mouth will be filled with laughter, our tongue with glad song. Then they will declare among the nations, Adonai has done great things with these. Adonai has done great things with us. We were gladdened. Oh, Adonai, return our captivity like springs in the desert. Those who tearfully sow will reap in glad song. He who carries the measure of seeds walks along weeping, but he will return joyously, carrying his sheep. May my, may my mouth declare the praise of Adonai, may all flesh bless his holy name forever. We will bless Adonai from this time and forever. Hallelujah. Give thanks to God, for he is good, his kindness endures forever. Who can express the mighty acts of Adonai? Who can declare all his praise? Uh, three or more males. Gentlemen, let us bless. Bless the name of Adonai from this time and forever. Blessed be the name of Adonai from this time and forever. With the permission of the distinguished people present, let us bless he of whose we have eaten. Skip the bracket. Blessed is he of whose we have eaten and through whose goodness we live. Blessed is he of whose we have eaten and through whose goodness we live. Blessed is he and blessed is his name. Gregory, do you know this in, uh, in Hebrew, dear I think we, we all, all do. Baruch Atadonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Hazan Yatoam, Kulobetuvo, Bechem Bechesed Uachamim. Hu noten lechem lechobasar, ki leolam chazo, Hu tuvo haradol, Tami kokosar vanu le 
The compassionate one, may he reign over us forever. The compassionate one, may he be blessed in heaven and on earth. The compassionate one, may he be praised throughout all generations. May he be glorified through us forever to the ultimate ends and be honored through us forever and for all eternity. The compassionate one, may he sing us in honor. The compassionate one, may he break the yoke of oppression from our necks and guide us direct to our land. The compassionate one, may he send us abundant blessings to this house and upon this table that we have eaten. The compassionate one, may he send us a God and the prophet with me, may it be God's will that this host not be shamed or humiliated in this world or in the world to come. May he be successful in all his dealings, and may his dealings be successful and conveniently close at hand. May no evil impediment reign over his handiwork, and may no semblance of sin or iniquitous thought attach itself to him this time and forever. The compassionate one, may he bless the master of this house, and the lady of this house, them, their house, their family, and all that is theirs. Ours and all that is ours, just as our forefathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were blessed in everything, from everything, with everything. So may he bless us all together with the perfect blessing, and let us say, Amen. And James Bond, if you'll go ahead and finish the rest. On high, may Mary be pleaded upon them and upon us for a safeguard of peace. May you receive a blessing from an unjust kindness from the God of our salvation, and find favor and good understanding in the eyes of God and man. The compassionate one, may he cause us to inherit the day which will be completely a Sabbath and rest day for eternal life. The compassionate one, may he make us worthy of the days of Messiah Yeshua and the life of the world to come. He who is a power of salvation is to his king, and this kindness for his anointed to David and to his descendants forever. He makes peace in his sight, so may he make peace upon us, and upon all Israel, and I respond. Amen. Fear Adonai, you his holy ones, for there is no deprivation for his reverent ones. Young lions may want and hunger, but those who seek Adonai will not lack any good. Give thanks to God, for he is good, his kindness endures forever. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Blessed is the man who trusts in Adonai, that Adonai will be his security. I was a youth and also a I have not seen a righteous man forsaken. This children begging for bread. Adonai will give might to his people, Adonai will bless his people with peace. Amen. Amen. I guess we'll just jump in here. Uh, that's probably part of the idea, right? Yeah. So, um, surveying the room, see who's all here. Okay, I think we have children in the back corner. Sophia, are you still here? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. I have a quick question for you, Sophia. Can you tell me something that God said? What's something that God said in the Bible? He did. That's right. Can you think of anything that God told us to do? Does God tell us to keep Shabbat? Yep. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good well one. Done. I agree. Well done. I like this kind of Micah, do you think that when God tells us something, he means it? Yes. Um, well, it's a good question to ask because the serpent is asking the question. Ooh. Because in this story, we learned that the, the snake in the garden comes to Eve and said, did God really say that? And, you know, God said that, but does it really mean it? Is it really? That's not going to happen. If you disobey God, there won't be any punishment. Uh, even though God said that, that's irrelevant. This is what Serpent was saying to Eve. I'm paraphrasing slightly, but not by much. Um, and yet, what happened? Micah, what happened when they eat from the tree? Again, and we're cursed to forever. And we're cursed to forever. 
Right. And then he was gone for a thousand years, and the Lord came back, and wow. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that was a good summary. Now we, we, that we can finish our Torah discussion. You can all go home. Um, no, but no, the, the point, though, is that they suffered the consequences, and eventually, as God said, they died. Um, so God meant what he said, which is interesting that the snake is, picks an interesting timing to question God's words. We just got done with an entire chapter at the beginning of the book in which God creates the entire universe by speaking. Every word he speaks results in something dramatic. He speaks, let there be light, there's light. He says, let the waters be gathered together, they gather together. Let the earth bring forth fruit trees or birds or animals or making man. And all happens as he says it. And yet the snake has the audacity. Mere moments. I mean, tradition holds it. It wasn't even Shabbat yet. And the snake is already questioning whether or not the words of God are valid. Um, and I think it's important for us to keep in mind as we start this, this year... Um, that the, the, the God's words matter. They mean something. They have power. They have impact. They have consequence. And he means what he says. So the challenge I give you this year, as we're preparing for our Torah portion discussions together, try to find one thing, just one, that you've never seen before. Try reading a version of the Bible. Maybe read a commentary you haven't read before. Just ask a question you never thought you, you never noticed before. Um, maybe learn one Hebrew word in that week's portion and try to figure out you know, what, what, what's important. But try to learn one thing so that when we come back together again, we can all get something new. Um, I know we've done this a lot. This is like probably the 10th or 12th time for some of us to read Genesis chapter 1 um, in just the Torah cycles, not counting all the times we did in the church. So um, we don't want to get stale. And we, the reason why we come back to it every year is there's always more. This week's Torah portion is... Deep. There is so much stuff in it. In fact, how late can you guys stay? No. Um, at some point, we'll have to stop, but there's still more. So uh, I do hope that you guys can take the challenge, dig into God's word this year, find something new. One thing I found new this year that I thought was interesting, thinking about the snake. So when God speaks to them and says, wait, did you eat from the tree of which I told you not to eat? I'm paraphrasing again. Um, the word he starts with is hameen. Hey, Mem Noon, which you might think sounds vaguely familiar. Haman is spelled the exact same way. So uh, one of the commentators, um, and I'm going to probably forget his name, this one I'm not familiar with, um, Itori Torah, he, reached, he asked the question, um, what does Haman have to do with the book of Genesis? Like, that's kind of weird. Um, and he makes the point to say that Haman and Adam are very much the same. Adam was given everything. Adam was said, you can live forever. You can have any fruit you want. You can have relationship with God, beautiful wife. Everything's perfect forever. One thing you can't have, the tree in the middle of the garden. Haman, if you remember the story, has everything. He has tons of children. He's wealthy. He is the second most powerful man in the entire kingdom. He has anything anybody could ever want. One thing he doesn't have. Mordecai won't bow to him. One thing. And just like Adam, Haman throws it all away because he can't deal with not having the one thing that God doesn't want him to have. Uh, it's an important lesson on, on contentment and, and the impact of how, like, you know, you, you, that one thing can be all you're missing and yet it can run it all. Yes, sir. One of the things, that's, that's, this is going to be a great year, I think, if we, if we can all, like, uh, rise up to your challenge. And so one of the questions that I was kind of asking this year is 
Is there significance to the fact that man wasn't the first to question God? It wasn't actually Adam or Eve that questioned God and what he said. Hmm. That, like, theoretically, if you read it the way that it reads, if there was no serpent, there would not have been a fall. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, this year I've kind of questioned, like, why is that significant in some way? Like, I mean, typically we never disassociate ourselves from our sin. Because obviously like, right. it's our choice. We, we always have a choice. Obviously both of them did have a choice. But yet they still weren't the first to question God. That's a good point. And what his word was. I was listening to Rabbi David Foreman. He did a good teaching on this of where he said, well, the snake goes by his instincts. So if his instincts tell him to do something, that's kind of like that's the way God programmed him. But yet Adam was supposed to subdue the snake too, and also tell him, no, that's not what God said. Yeah, that was kind of his job. Yeah. Always be armed in the garden. Yeah. <laughs> well, the sages definitely, um, you know, traditional Christianity has made the snake into Hasatan, which there is some biblical references towards that effect. Uh, Revelation references to the serpent of old, um, if we're taking that literally. But the the Judaism definitely sees the snake as representative symbolically of the Yetzirah. And that. Master. Right, we get that temp- uh, that temptation up from the inside. And of course, the Yetzirah, as to your point, the Foreman, is not supposed to be, uh, we call it the evil inclination, but it's not so much the embodiment of evil inside of you. It is more that instinct. It's that natural fleshly desire. Paul's that, calling it the, the, the fleshly man. Literally, the flesh. Over and over again, Paul uses that reference because he's talking about that. He's talking about you crave food. Well, if you eat on Yom Kippur... That's a problem. You crave, you know, insert whatever bodily function, desire, need you have. But if you have too much, or you have it at the wrong time, or in the wrong way, now you've sinned. Um, And really, at the end of the day, as Adam Smith teaches us, all of human activity is basically driven by cravings. Everything we do is driven by a, a desire. Well, that's a hurrah represents that desire. It's it's the, it's what generates those desires. It's not inherently evil, but because it has no filter and no check, it will inevitably lead us to evil, just like snake does in the garden. And our job, as Rabbi Foreman pointed out, as you said, Jonathan, is to subdue that. And that's really why God ultimately, because like Adam's got a point. Adam says, "The woman you gave me gave me fruit." Now he kind of like that's unfair, blaming God for you know, but. The woman he trusts, woman he you know who's supposed to be his support and companion, she's the one telling him go ahead and eat. Like the the sages comment the fact that you know it, it's like if if your wife gives you kosher food or or food and says it's kosher, you can trust her. But God said because you listen to your wife and not to me. So like Adam is ultimately kept held at fault for sinning, even though. Yeah, it wasn't totally fair, quote unquote. You got tricked, kind of like you got tricked. But at the same time, they're still responsible. Yes, sir. Who's that? Oh, sorry. Uh, the founder of capitalism. Founder of capitalism. He wasn't the founder of the Mormon Church. No, no, that was a uh, Joseph Smith. Adam Smith. Were they brothers? Is a, no, I don't think so. Justice Adam Smith is a lot older than that. Founder of capitalism wrote um, the Invisible Hand. Is that what it's called? Anyway, the point is, his his theory is that. He founded capitalism on the principle that all of human um, activity is ultimately based on desires, and this is good. So if people just look for, out for them, their own desires and needs, ultimately that will generate economy. 
So no. he was partly right and not completely because man is partly evil. Continue. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's good. That's good. I, to your, uh, your challenge of, of looking for new and trying maybe to learn a new Hebrew word or something, um, that's, that's my goal this year is to try and, uh, and learn some of those. Um, but it's not Eve. It's Chava. It is Chava. And Kayan and Hevel. Hevel. Hevel of Hevels. Cain and Abel is Kayan and Hevel. Yes. And it just makes you feel like you're walking through the streets a bit of other That's all there. Just wanted to Yeah, that is true. Yeah, Hevel, just uh, that joke I was making is that Hevel's name means like breath or vanity. In the book of Ecclesiastes, like that's over and over again. Hevel is used repeatedly. Yeah. Um, I've got Gregory and then I got Micah. But um, one of the interesting things about the fact that Haman is referenced to the serpent is that like I, I've always thought, especially this pastime in Purim, how much it was the trick of Haman that actually had everything take place because that's the concern of the tradition is that the king was totally tricked by Haman into writing that law. Huh. Um, and so that's huh. interesting that both in both cases there was a, a uh, quite interesting deception that took place a that led to destruction. Mm. Yeah. Which word was Haman? Um, at the beginning of what God says, have you eaten from the tree? Um, the first word there is Hamin. Um and it's the same letters. Yeah, right, it's right. the same letters. Oh, okay, yeah. so it's in the question from Yeah, it's in the question. Because God first asks, where are you? And then Adam says, I'm here, I was, I'm naked. And he says, who told you were naked? And then he follows up by saying, have you eaten from the tree of which I told you not to eat? Okay. And that sentence begins with the word hamim. So, so you see, those are the, the two books that Rabbi Foreman has written. The Queen <laughs> yeah. You Never Knew. <laughs> and, and the Beast the, 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 the Passover. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that is very interesting. Very interesting. Perhaps he's well aware of what we're discussing. <laughs> no. I wouldn't be surprised. Micah, <laughs> uh, you had a comment? Yes. Um, speaking of challenge, in Christmas, for the first time ever, I noticed that he said that God said to the serpent that you shall walk forever in your belly or something like that. You know, and I was just thinking, what does that mean? Quite possibly. I think that that's a good. That I mean, the the references to uh, dragon and serpent in Revelation kind of make it seem like some sort of creature like that. You imagine. Um, my dad likes to theorize maybe he had wings. You know, um, that'd be quite the fall. Yeah. <laughs> the, the fall as described in the Ubnik is. Uh, Pretty scary. I don't know if you read it. Um, let's see if I can find it. Where is the where is the, the curse? Three fourteen. Yeah, in uh, three fourteen. <clears throat> Again, from the inspired duty. God <laughs> Almighty God said to the serpent, "Because you have done this, you are now cursed more than all the cattle, and more than all the wild animals of the field." You will have your legs cut off, so that you shall walk on your belly, and you shall eat soil all the days of your life. There we go. That's kind of crisp. It is. You can have your legs cut off. Okay. You know, Smart. The, uh, the curse given to um, Eve, is think Ramban raises the point to say, 
Ramban's theory is that actually, once upon a time, woman ruled over man. At the very least, woman certainly likes to think that she does in that passage because she, he tells him, here, you eat. And, and Adam lets her be the leader and says, okay. So the Ramban points out, it's very interesting that, that God's punishment, so to speak, one of the part of the penalty, is it says that he will rule over you. So her, her um, effort to wield the authority over man in, in the, again, this is not to say that God, man and woman aren't equal in terms of value before God, but in the hierarchy that God set up in the home of putting man in charge, that was partly a consequence of Eve's action where she wielded authority in, in, inappropriately. So Just God- you know that every single night in my home, my wife says, <laughs> and I do. <laughs> and it is good for me. But you had the tree of life growing in your backyard. <laughs> but but that doesn't have to be ruling over. It doesn't have to be, but that's one, one version of one interpretation of what that that this part of the quote unquote curse on Eve is relating to. Um is in reference to that. You know, going back to what you were saying before about the Yetzirah, one of the other things that I that's kind of surprised me was how the very first result, because you, you kind of picture based on the way that it's described, is that you like you take a bite and you drop dead. Right. That's what you think. Right. But the very first thing, to Micah's point, that like apparently now that you have some different knowledge is the fact that you're naked. Like that's for some reason is like the first occurrence of, of negativity that happens to them following eating. And, but that is such a great analogy, going back to the way that you were describing the Atsuhara. Because there are times when it is good to be naked, for instance, a mikvah. That's an important part of a mikvah, that you, are, you don't have anything on. Right. But then, of course, there, there the are ways was... where you can make that out to be a negative thing. And Absolutely. you can actually sin. Uh, almost like thinking of uh, Bathsheba and, and David. But, okay. you know, like, there, but anyway, so there's, I think that, that is, it becomes an interesting analogy for, like, everything. Right. You know, when you think of it that way. Right, well, that's what, I mean, tradition, I'm not getting too far out of this week's power shot, but tradition holds that Isaac, our forefather, um, was able to master his Yetzirah. He could use it to glorify God. What we did 20 minutes ago, saying the Berkat Hamazon was elevating a physical act of eating and turning it into a blessing of God. This is part of why we're here is to take those mundane, physical things that are part of our, our Yetzirah, those desires to do, uh, and like God says to, to Cain, 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 here in the, in the reference, he's like, sin wants to be master over you, but you can control it. Yes, sir. Yeah, I just want to make sure we're, we're clear that being naked was not the sin. There's nothing wrong with being naked. Maybe the context might have been the It issue. was the fact that he knew he was naked. And that's why God said, well, wait a second, wait a second. Who told you that? I left you naked yesterday. That's not a problem. You've been naked all week. Who told you you were naked? It's the concept of knowing and perhaps putting shame on it and so forth. So um, not to say that it's appropriate to be naked everywhere. That's not what I'm saying. But we need to just be clear to, to what the scriptures say, right? But that's still how it right. creates us. Babies are born. Yeah, we're babies are born naked. You know? Yeah. They get us a neighbor. So, um, I, I, I don't know, how, how far can we go? We're, we're kinging around all over this place. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah, to your point, I I got two things that your eye had not seen. Okay. And one of them 
And, I, and I'm only saying this for Nehemiah, because he was gracious enough to defer to me and stay for a little while. And I love him. I think the conversation so wanna, is better just because he's here. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I want to just give him something that he can take home. That Kyan, that's king for you folks that live on the mountain. Yeah. Kyan was the first Balchuva. Huh? You think so? Yeah. So the Gutnik says that he's the first person to do Shuva, and God set him as an example to the Balchuva that we are. Okay, I'm very okay. I'm curious. Right. So he did a couple things. First, he made confession. He confessed to God and declared, My sin is too great to bear. Okay. Alright. He exiled himself, right? Rambam writes that one of the routes of Shuva is for a person to send himself into exile and then with humility he will return. And then third, to rebound with positive action. So sum it all up. After doing Shuva, Kayan propels himself back into the world by first fathering his son. Second, he builds a city, an ambitious project to make the world better. And then third, he names the city after his son's name, proclaiming he's back with God. Wow. The first Paul Shuva. You know what I love about the, the Midrash and the interpretations in this is it doesn't matter if you agree with that that's or right. not. That's right. The, the moral out of it is really all that matters. And that's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. That was the first thing I learned. I'll wait until we move further down for the second thing. And I saw it literally when Scott called me up to read. I never Is it from the story of Cain and Abel? Because there is something weird. The old of Cain? Well, no, so it's not. Yeah. the very beginning, Cain and Hevel, yes. The beginning of the story of Cain and Hevel is actually has a really weird <laughs> phrase in Hebrew. If you go to chapter 4 of your of Genesis, um, and it is verse, hang on, I think it's 3, but I want to make sure. 3, we're closer to the beginning. Yeah. Yes, it's very beginning. So, they ha so uh, Eve has Cain and Abel. Um, and then it Kava says absolutely right mm -hmm. then verse 3 in English one interpretation is this is after a period of time but in the Hebrew the word is literally vahie and it kind of happened miketz yamin miketz is the name of a portion it's actually a portion named for miketz because of the exact same phrase Time. In the story of Joseph, later on in the book of Genesis, we get the word miketz, yamim, shnatayim, at the end of the days of two years. The end of two years. So the, the literal translation of miketz, yamim, here is at the end of days. So it came about at the end of days that Cain brought an offering to Adonai. That is weird to me, I have to say. Really weird. I mean, so there's a couple of different ways to look at it. One is the translation here that it's just a general time reference at the end of days. Um, I think it was Torah.org had a commentary that was saying that another interpretation is um, it was actually referenced to the time in Cain's life. That this story takes place towards the end of his life. Which is an interesting theory. I don't know if that really fits the chronology of the story, but we know that the Torah is not 100% chronological, so... 
This story could have been inserted at any point in Cain's life. But uh, uh, so their interpretation was Cain, part of, part of the reason why Cain commits murder is he's, you know, had an entire life of acquiring, which is what his name means, an entire life of generating um, wealth, so to speak, through the ground, growing crops. Um, he, well, whereas Hevel has been investing his time as any good shepherd should in studying, you know, things of God. And then yeah. Hevel has, um, you know, Hevel has, like, he's accumulated a life of spiritual pursuits, Cain a life of material ones, they offer the offering, Hevel's is accepted, Cain's is not, and Cain, is, as an old man, is now bitter that his, you know, life has been apparently wasted, and now he, that's why he ultimately kills Hevel. That's their theory. Anyway, so that's one thought. Um, another thought is, um, and from, just from my perspective, we see that once Messiah comes, we are effectively in the days of Messiah. We've been in the days of Messiah for 2,000 years now. Um, in a certain way. So another way to look at this is traditionally holds that Cain and Hevel, Cain and Abel, were born in the Garden of Eden. Eve gives birth prior to eating from the tree. Um, and there's also you know weird midrash about them being born as like full-grown men or something like that. Anyway, it's instant, right? There's like conception and birth, like it happens one after the other. Birth didn't hurt. Right, didn't hurt. All that stuff. So another way to look at it is this story, starting in verse 3, is the end of days. It's the beginning of what we call human history. We've left the garden, and now we're in this period of time that is coming to an end. Um, anyway, any other theories, I'd love to hear them, but I thought that was weird. That was something that stood out to me this year, like, whoa, that's odd. Um, go ahead. I don't know if it's. I don't know if it makes sense that it would have been like longer, like towards the end, because I thought it was clear that um, Hevel didn't have any kids before he died. Right. Yes, that's true. So then that would be weird if it was at the end. Had, right. Had him not hadn't having get married or yeah, kids. I don't know that so I necessarily I agree with that one, but it was okay. like kind of like any, any midrush, you know. It's like oh, oh, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Okay. We can learn yeah. something from it. But yes, good point. I agree with you. I think the chronology of the story doesn't lend itself. This is the end of Cain's life, but um, it's an interesting thought nonetheless. Uh, one more thing to be thinking about. Um, also, in uh, another commentary I read that that was interesting. They they asked the question, "What conversation Cain and, and Hevel, Cain and Hevel have?" says Cain spoke to Hevel but then and the word they use in Hebrew is Omer which is the word they normally is followed by quote something right we, here's the conversation um, instead it's just a sentence and there's no it's nothing at all it's almost like it'd be almost like if you um, you know read in the news and President Trump tweeted period next sentence another news we found out that like wait, wait, wait what do you say you know, so, but the, the commentary I thought was really brilliant was arguing that part of the point of this was silence on purpose. It doesn't matter what was said. Nothing that could have been said in that conversation could justify Cain's murder of Hevel. Um, and so the conversation being left silent is almost to say, insert whatever human reason for ki killing is, it still doesn't matter. Because the traditional rabbinic ones are, you know, it's over a woman, or it's over separate, dividing up the earth. It's over who gets to have the temple in their territory, so forth. Or who gets the pudding when they get back home. 
Right, whatever. But the, it's, the, it's the same traditional human desires, wealth, uh, relationships, and religion. You know, these are the... Yes, sir. We had a rabbi come and speak to the Mitzvah on Tuesday night, and he shared his first name with us that night, and it was Hanok. Right. And he felt compelled to share with us, since we're non-Jews, that Hanok is Enoch. In the Hebrew. So Kayan knew his wife, she conceived and gave birth to Hanok. And he made mention, this rabbi did, that it's Hanok, like in the Bible. Probably not this Hanok. <laughs> Probably the other the one. Next one. Walk with God. What's the more? Uh, that's uh, Lamech. And, uh, you know, Lamech took for himself two wives, Hadah and Silah. Um, in verse 23 of chapter 4, the second thing I saw this year that is extraordinary, that I had no idea. I don't know about you, but up until this time, if you read about Lamech, the, to me, the guy sounds like he's amazingly proud. You, you thought Cain was bad. Are you kidding? You know, I am, I am a bad guy. Let me tell you. He got a mark. You get seven years problems. It, it, it just always sounds like bad. The verse 23 in the accidentally filled Cain and Tubalcain, and his wives separated from him. He said to his wives, Ada and Selah, listen to my voice and accept me back. Wives of Lemek. Incline your ears to my word. Did I slay a man by wounding him intentionally? Or a child by hitting him intentionally? If Cain, who did kill intentionally, was avenged after seven generations, then Lamech, me, who killed unintentionally, shall be avenged after 77 generations. This is an interesting one. Um, so traditionally... That's exactly the story. The tradition holds that Lamech, I believe, is blind. Right. He's out hunting with Tubal-Cain, his son. Tubal-Cain sees what he thinks is an animal and says, Hey, shoot the arrow that way. Oops, that was his grandfather, Cain. Because God had said, Rats. you have seven generations. Lamech is, gener I think Tubal-Cain is generation seven or something like that. So, Cain dies. As so, and then, <laughs> right, yeah. Foes don't kill people. Blind oh, man. Um, in this in this portion, that's what happens. So uh, that's that's the tradition of what what the story is behind the background. So that's why Lemek comes back to his wife and says, "I was an accident, and God, if God showed mercy on Cain for seven generations, how much more will He not give seventy-seven? Interestingly enough, the commentators, I think it's Rashi, talks about this idea is almost like going over the top. I mean, the seventy-seven generations, you know. But the point that he's making is it's like it's exaggerated on purpose to say like, well, essentially God's never going to punish me for this, which is interesting because I don't know if you were doing the math. We've got seven generations and 77 generations, a lot of sevens and 70s. And I think I recall the master making a comment to Peter yeah. who said, wait, how does it forgive this guy? Could be seven times? Seventy times. Seven. How about 70 times seven? Yeah. So I think that he's making an allusion back to this story to be like, you should treat them, not, I mean, first off, exaggerate to the point where you forget them for everything, but treat it like it's unintentional. 
work. He showed the same the compassion as the Father. Yeah. Yeah. He's the master be either there listening to this, watching this unintentional killing, which is scary to think about, or he was taught the midrash in his culture. But you can see, like, the, so I love those little connections, and I, I hope if you go through them, you'll find more. Um, another cool thing I saw, I think it was Rashi, was saying that um, Cain's exile is to the east. Murderers are always exiled east. That if you look at the, when God sets up the cities of refuge, it says build them towards the east. Well, on the outside. The first three are on the outside of the land. Right, they are. But, but like, east. but when he references, yeah, but he references where to put them, like the first comment, quote unquote, to Moses, you know, set up them to the east or something like that. Um, and so it's exactly what Cain's penalty is. And, and God keeps his own Torah very well. There was only, well, maybe one witness to this murder. So God does not kill Cain immediately. He exiles him, which is the penalty for someone who's killed somebody, but you don't have evidence of, you know, exactly what happened. Wow. That was yeah. pretty cool. Nice. That was cool. Yeah, nice. yeah the, uh, the, the cities of refuge. So that's basically what's wow. up happening. Cain essentially is exiled, almost like in a city of refuge type situation. Mm. Wow. But God, being ultimately just and knowing what's really going on, does eventually exact his punishment. Hmm. I forgot Hevel was a shepherd. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Just a shepherd. Yeah, a shepherd. Yeah, yeah. That's, just, that's just kind of an interesting... They, they both had jobs, basically. You know? Yeah. And, and they were different. Two brothers, and one was with, with the earth, and one was with the animals. Yeah, it's a very. It, there's a lot of commentators about that. Rabbi Foreman talks about that one. Um, he sees Cain. Its name means acquire, acquired. Um, it comes from the same root, the word um, I, I acquired. It's the same, so it's like a play off of that. Um, and that idea is that like Cain is like seeking for um, tangible, right? He wants things he can. He wants ground that's stable. He wants to grow things from the ground. In fact, it's almost like a... Because, so a woman partners with God to give birth. But man doesn't really play a major role in that process. So, as Rabbi Foreman was teaching, that Cain effectively is partnering with God to grow produce. This is like his fulfillment of his naming. I have acquired a man with God. So Cain has this desire to, to partner with God to grow things, to gain possessed, to acquire things with God. So his penalty is being driven from that ground. As a wanderer, he no longer has that stability that he craves, and the ground will not yield, will no longer yield its strength to him, so he is now um, cut off, effectively, from what he had been seeking, which is quite, it's a, it's a pretty dramatic penalty, really. Um, but that's something that so oftentimes, I think, it's like, it feels so much like Adam, you know, right? That's what Rabbi Foreman, he draws a link between um, in the book that's in the crash of the door, which we, I have not finished yet, but it's very good. Um, got some weirdness to it, but that's, well, if you read the Midrash of Genesis, there's some weirdness. But it's very interesting. Anyway, the point is that um, the, uh, the, the parallels between Adam's exile and his penalty and Cain's are, are extremely similar. Both are driven out, both are cursed with the, uh, the ground, in the ground and the longer grows its stuff the right way. Um, is a very similar penalty. So Cain effectively has tragically escalated Adam's sin rather than learning from it. And therefore his penalty is similar but worse. Mm. Yes, sir? 
We've mentioned this a couple of times in years past, especially when uh, Noah Gordon was uh, sitting with us most of the time. Noah. It is Noah. Noah is a biblical name, and it is a, a female. <laughs> it's a girl's name. No, it's female. Noah is is the uh, is the male name, and if we recognize that, I, I think it's important for us to to get that in there from time to time. Because the last line in five is after Noah was five hundred years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Yafet. It's Ham. It's not Ham. It's Ham. I think it means hot. Mm-hmm. Who's hot? Ham. Mm-hmm. That's the literal translation of his name. Got it. Yeah. Which is interesting because uh, he. His descendants that end up living in a part of the world. It's rather hot. Very hot. That's right. And Egypt, uh, there was a, there's a name for parts of Africa that's Hamed. Huh. That's and weird. Hamed. That's crazy. Yeah. Cool. We'll see later on Shem, Ham, and Yafet. There's argument later on in the sages, obviously, about was that the order they were born? Right. Or is Yafet older than Ham? Traditionally, Ham is the youngest. There's a reference in the next Torah portion to that. Shem is the middle son, but he's listed first at the end of this portion because he's the most important. And Yafet is the oldest. But if you look at the genealogy stuff, it does seem to to lend credence to that, that Yafet is the oldest. Which is really weird, considering the way it's written in the last verse of chapter 5. Right. That's not the only thing that's weird. I got another cool thing I saw for the very first time. Rashi, I believe it is. Is it Rashi? I think, I think it's Rashi. I want to make sure. While I'm looking this up, Gregory, go ahead. Well, so, yeah, this, uh, another thing this year was so interesting. In Rabbi Jonathan Sachs' book about Sukkot, um, one of the things he kind of referenced that I hadn't really thought of was that, like, the fact that we have a very, very small amount of information about the literal creation of the earth. Right. And he references how one of the biggest portions in all of the Torah is about the tabernacle and how that is a central theme of the entire mm-hmm. Torah uh, because that's the representation of God dwelling with his people and he goes on and on about that, which we've all heard. But as I've been reading through the creation account and even just after it, it's amazing how many little hints we have of the preparation of their someday being a tabernacle. Hmm. There's the first one, the whole idea about being a shepherd what, okay. That's you need the animals for the right, offering. Right. Then there's this whole part here though, about like the dwelling in tents. Uh, this is in like four, where it's going through like the kids of Lemech. It's talking about tents, and then it talks about like the uh, the heart and the flute. Right, so you've got like music and musicians, and then you've got like this whole idea of like copper. There, there's right. like, and then it, it, when it references the uh, the rivers and everything, you start seeing a lot of the stones that are similar. Shilohim stones. Yeah, and the gold. In the, it's in the breastplate. Right. Yeah, but then you also have the gold too, which oh, is right, the majority the of the inside. Yeah, and yeah, the gold is all over the place. Yeah. So it, there's like all these little sprinklings <laughs> of cool. the tabernacle yeah. right here in the very very beginning, as we kind of lead up toward that being uh, a central theme of the time. And then on the flip side of that, in the tabernacle reference, you have all these references back to the garden, you know, all the Kerovim, which are everywhere. Yeah. Um, there's also the uh, that idea, what we talked about, like the, the Torah is a tree of life, you know, you get a reference back to that. 
there's like these little illusions between them. They're supposed to be connected. I think you're right. Yeah, but I mean, right? Because even the the first of the two sons, that was the whole idea was that there were offerings. And that was like right. the first thing we read about with these guys. They're born now. There's offerings, and then right. they, it's right then. So, yeah, because yeah. ultimately about relationship with God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yes, and uh, when I was, um, one of the things I read too, um, Rashi was talking about. I believe it was Rashi was talking about the idea that uh, we don't really know how God created the earth and the heavens. And in fact, the very first reference. I love how the art scroll translates it. In the beginning of the creation of the heaven and the earth, rather than in the beginning God created heaven and earth, Rashi points out that heaven and earth are not actually made at this point. If you look, the first thing is actually water. Um, his point being, though, that like essentially, kind of like almost like a warning, like be careful, like trying to figure out exactly how it's all made. I, re- I read the first. I know what happened. It's like this is uh, massive. Rabbinic Judaism teaches that Genesis chapter one is like huge mystery. Like, whoa, way too deep. So, like, if you ever get to a nice little argument with somebody saying, well, the stars are X million starlight, it's like, my God spoke the universe into existence, created light before there were stars or sun or moon. I think he can do whatever he wants to do with starlight, and we'll figure it out when we get there. And to that same point, sages are very clear that that whole creation story is all about the interaction of Messiah. Mm-hmm. And that older, younger men are prohibited from studying the creation story because in so doing, they might blaspheme Messiah. That's shocking to me. There's a lot of depth there. Yes, sir. Um, wow. Okay, so when you mentioned uh, uh, the translation in Cain's offering, or at the time that Cain brought his offering, as end of days, so I'm I'm reading out of the NET Bible, mm-hmm. and at that point, and in the English it says at the designated time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the ground as an offering. Um, right there, go down, and the note is in Hebrew, and it happened at the end of days. Clause indicates the passing of a set period of time leading up to an offering, and then um, what's interesting is that offering. Uh, the note on that is the Hebrew term mincha is a general word for tribute, gift, or an offering. It is the main word used in Leviticus 2 for dedication offering. Um, this type of, type of offering could be comprised of vegetables. The content of the offering, uh, vegetables as opposed, or in this case, you know, grain as opposed to animals, was not the critical issue, but rather the attitude of the offerer. So I went and I was like, okay, let me go look at Leviticus 2 again. So in the first part of it, it doesn't really speak to that to me. But once you hit Leviticus 2 and 11, it says, No grain offering which you present to Adonai can be made with yeast, for you must not offer up and smoke any yeast, honey, or honey as a gift unto Yah. You can present them to Adonai as an offering of first fruit, but they must not go up to the altar for a soothing aroma. Um, moreover, you must season every one of your grain offerings with salt. Hmm. So then that made me think of Mashiach. So I, I turned to Mashiach and when he tells the, the disciples that they're the salt of the earth. Hmm. And then that touches on their character. Okay. The salt okay. represent is representative of their character. Um, and, and when you go back to um, you know, Mark 9 and 49, he says, everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salt again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. 
and you go back to Second uh, Kings two and twenty one, Elisha, how he purified the waters. He put salt in the water, huh, okay. so it was representative. What it seems to me to be saying is like when Abel did the commandment at that time that it was time for the offering. Abel went above and beyond to please Adonai, whereas Cain just kind of went through the motions. Right. You know, he just went through the motions and he didn't bring the best right. of what he had. And then with that type of character, you know, that's speaking that, you know, you, you really don't, you don't, you're not coming with a pure heart. You're not. And then that reminds me of David where he says, who shall ascend the hill? of Adonai, he who has a clean heart and, and a pure hand, clean hands and a pure heart. And um, and so I thought I thought that was interesting to take that, you know, all the way through there and, and look back at the the characters. Now that's not speaking to his character after, you know, with the with the uh, with Teshuva. Um, but before his sin it was he was he wasn't ruling over his transgression. Which which must be clear because of John's reaction. Mm -hmm. He didn't have anything to do with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> Delving in on the, the Hebrew word there, the Nika. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's cool. Um, so one of the things that I saw this this Torah portion, and then we can kind of uh, grab any final comments, but um, one thing that jumped out to me, uh, that's the reference earlier on Noah, I found the reference. So Rabbi Judan, Judan, um, I didn't, I'm glad to look it up, I never remember that guy's name, but good for him. He came with a really cool point. He points out that Noah's childbearing age is weird. Everybody before him, literally everybody before him is listed. Gives birth, I think the latest is like 169. Noah is 500 years old. Was our father's children. Yeah, father's children. So, yes, you're right. Father's children. Good point. <laughs> Keep in mind who's giving the birth. That's straight. Yes. Father's children inside of 200 years. But Noah, she's like, <laughs> that is the bar, okay? She is the mother of the living. Give credit where crowd is dumb. Girl power. <laughs> Noah's fathering <laughs> takes place at 500. Rabbi Juden says, that's weird. Like, that's really late. You think about it. So there's a couple of traditions. One says that God was merciful to Noah. He doesn't allow his sons to be born too early. That um, he doesn't end up seeing them commit evil, and then they end up being lumped in with the flood. You know, the other possibility is that if they, if Noah had started having children at the same age as everybody else, he would have had tons and would have had to build lots of arcs. So instead, you know. But here's some cool thoughts. So first off, tradition holds that Noah took 120 years to build the ark, but at 500 is when he has Shem, Ham, and Joseph, uh, has his children, right, his three sons. And yet, the flood starts when Noah is 600. So the rabbis do the, the time jump here and realize that means, if that's correct, that God told Noah to build an ark for his sons and his sons' wives 20 years before he had any children at all. And here is an even Ooh. crazier point God's talking to Noah and his wife and tells him, I'm wiping out everything. 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 You and your wife and your currently non-existent children are going to get on the ark. God chose a man infertile. 
to be the father of all living human beings. Does that not sound like something we've heard before? I was going to say that Abraham's story came yeah. right to mind yeah. Yeah. before you even yeah. said that. But that okay. it was so late in his life that he even had a kid. And it's actually almost the exact same time frame when Abraham is told, you'll have uh, give the promise to you. It's a little uh, around 20 years when he finally has Isaac. So I thought that was just amazing. I mean, the, the, I mean really, think of the chutzpah of God. To pull aside this guy who's gone like three times the length of any of his ancestors, no kids yet. By the way, you're having sons, sons' wives. I'm wiping out everybody. You're the only people left on the planet. Wow. Noah's got to be having like crazy amount of faith here because if I were him, be like, wait, no. It never <laughs> says he laughed or anything. Yeah. Really. You know like, what I mean? He's like, I'm right. fine. Right. Well, so I think yeah. if you look at throughout human history, there's all of these. Um, times that God specifically chooses infertility to make a point. Yeah. And uh, this one's not the only one. I mean, Moshe, right? So if you look at Moses' parents, they're like crazy old when they have him <laughs> and his two siblings. Like for that time frame. Like, crazy old. I mean, they're, you know, especially if Yochaved really is Levi's daughter. I mean, she's like way old. Um, so these are like <laughs> hidden miracles, right? So they don't, they're not spelled out. But that's part of what I want us to do this year is to look for those inside things so thank you rabbi juden for pointing that out that that was really cool that's um okay Hanok, right i thought what was interesting about Hanok is it says and it was funny i've never seen this before until what about a month ago with with uh, Hanok, where it says when Hanok had lived 65 years he became the father of methuselah after he became the father of methuselah Hanok walked with Elohim for 300 years, right? And then it says, and he had other sons and daughters. The entire lifetime of Hanok was 365 years. Now it says he walked with God for 300 years. His lifespan was 365 years, mm -hmm. right? So he's 65 years, and he gives birth to Methuselah. Mm -hmm. So he began his walk with, with God after his son's birth. That's pretty cool. Right? So what is he doing for the first 65 years? Now, he could have been like, he, he could have, I mean, obviously he was a righteous man, but maybe fatherhood matured him to the Woke point where he was like, man, I need to, I need to start walking this thing out. You know, I've been contemplating it. I've been going around, you know, like, you know, just staring at the waterfall and looking at the stars and I see his power. And, and, and didn't decide, like, now here's his son, and now I have to walk this thing out. And it made me think fatherhood, you know. Yeah. Now, like, I'm like, because it becomes more, like, as a dad, it becomes more than about yourself. Right. It's not about you anymore. Well, it's a lot more pressure on you now. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's cool. to me. And that's what I want. Is that what you want? Is that what we all want? We want to walk with God. Mm -hmm. Right, right. I don't think that's so crazy about the taking it, but maybe that'd be cool too, but I'm just thinking this this guy had a son and then walked with God closely enough that God decided to just take him. Which means his son and his wife and his other daughters and sons were left behind. And I never thought about Hmm. I never read the books. And, 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 that's, that's odd. 
That's an interesting point. Yeah. You know, it's also interesting. Oh, sorry, are you finished? Yeah. You point out that he has a son, he starts walking with God, but he names his son when he dies. Thuzla, translated is when he dies. Which is why tradition holds that Methuselah dies and the flood happens. So wow. whatever happened when Enoch was 65, he must have had quite the revelation moment mm -hmm. because he names his son when he dies and then decides, I'm going to start walking with God. Be a good idea. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's very cool. Wow. So you have a link from Adam all the way oh, to the blood. So blood. Was, the, was the oldest That's man. Incredible. Nobody wow. lived longer than he did. When he dies, was the oldest man. Yeah. <laughs> 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 His friends called him that old guy. Yeah. That's amazing. But it also teaches you the, the grace yeah, and the compassion of God. Uh, yeah. that, that the longest living man wow. was kind of something of a, uh, a harbinger of doom. Mm. And yet, it's almost like God's like, yeah, we can we can stretch it out a little bit longer. Methuselah, you got another five or six years. Yeah, he was, he not was, ready to wipe you out yet. He was he crazy old too. It would be it would be, be great to look years at him and follow the lifespans again uh, when we we get after the flood, because Shem definitely was alive at the same time Abraham was alive, which makes right. you stop and go, wow. If you think about it, that means that from Adam walking in the garden to Abraham. I mean, if you guys have your little you know, yeah. corners yeah. here. Like we started people. way over there. We're all the way over here now, 2,000 years. Two people. Methuselah. Methuselah knew Adam. Shem knew Methuselah. Shem knew Abraham. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it's Whoa. And that I think is really important because I had those stories at the table. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, can you imagine? I, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh, 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 you know, people. Nobody might, was talking with Shem started speaking. Yeah. Nobody was wanna, speaking. Nobody want to challenge that idea and say like, you know, how would anybody know what happened well, to Adam and Eve? That's actually pretty easy. That's I mean, crazy. I know stories from like my grandfather. Yeah. yeah. Like that's not that hard. So you know, my years of stories. Yeah, 2,000 years. It's a lot of time. That's wow. It's pretty cool. What we were just talking about, like the hidden miracles, not that it was deliberately hidden, maybe not, but it was, it's just sort of interesting that our Haftar didn't start with 42 verse 1 in Isaiah because the Targum renders, behold my servant. It doesn't even use my servant. It says, behold the Messiah. Like huh. it's that blatant about it, this is all about Messiah. They just I think that's one of those really neat, cool things about how that was the one that was chosen huh. for the the very beginning. Because right. we, we know now of like the spirit of Messiah is the one that's hovering over the waters and right. you know of all these things, but then like it, it this uh, portion even ends with like an exact representation of, of what ends up happening, you know, with the with the generation in the wilderness, but then also life, right? Like evil gets wiped out, and then there's this remnant that finds grace with Hashem. And the prophecy of the seed, exactly, yeah. But it's all, like, 
tied in with our Haftarah by the very, very beginning of it. It's not technically the Haftarah. It's five verses earlier, but knowing the context of That's everything cool. that we read, it's all of Messiah. That's very cool. Well, I, mean, I, and I hope that as, we, as, we, as you're looking for new things you haven't seen before, also be looking for those Messiah references. There's a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, some, most of it is buried, but you know, if it weren't for the Jews, having seen all these cool references to Messiah, Christianity would have no idea who Messiah is. We have the apostolic writings, but nothing in the Tanakh is that explicit. All of these prophecies and traditions and all this other stuff is Jewish. The Jews knew it. Um, and it's all buried in there. It's pretty good stuff. Any final comments? Thank you all for your patience. We started late, so we ran a little late. Um, but this is really good. I'm glad we got a chance to do this. I didn't feel like it was overtime. Thank you very much to Gregory for um, staying up in my stead. Um, I appreciate the hard work you put into it. So thank you. Alrighty. You're back just in time. Just in time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Got another baby on the way. Um, in fact, Gregory, would you mind closing with us in prayer? Sure. Sure. Avinu Malkenu, what a privilege it is to study your word. And we appreciate so much the insight that you have revealed to us, that you've opened our eyes, that we may perceive wonders through you, Torah. We, we thank you so much for blessing us with, uh, with Joshua back and, and sharing with us uh, some amazing insights and encouraging us for the rest of the week. We pray that you would let us take with us for the rest of the week all of the amazing things from Shabbat that we would always see you throughout our lives and that you would bless the, the works of our hands and you would bless our feet and, uh, and be with us throughout this week. Amen. Amen. Amen.